Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm the man who wasn't there. And we're... Wow, you threw me off. Uh, today we're talking about <laughs> Season 2, Episode 10, entitled Palindrome. Uh, everybody knows what a palindrome is, right? Uh, it's it's, the it's same a man, a plan, a canal, Panama. It's mom. It's radar. It's, it's taco cat. <laughs> taco cat? I've never heard that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a word that is the same read forwards as it is backwards yeah uh uh so i read sippenwall's review and i thought that yeah. his opening analogy of the palindrome was pretty fucking forced uh what did he use it as he said like essentially well you know no hope no one in this season he, he took it from I'm, I'm i'm using my stupid guy voice i need to back the fuck up i'm talking about alan seppenwall <laughs> alan seppenwall do, 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 do. let me take it down a couple <laughs> no, notches come on let He's me take it down guy. a couple notches uh yeah. He started off by saying that all the character he he, he, he came out from a character analysis standpoint for a first for the first thing okay uh, and then he said none of the characters are really a palindrome because everyone is transformed by this process either into dead matter hmm. or uh, to be like opposite of where they started the season except for Lou except, Lou's except always for... been this decent strong okay man. And he in he you know he ends the he starts the season that way he ends the season that way and he be, you know continues through season one that way, and I just thought that was kind of I don't know I felt like that was a pretty forced use of the palindrome metaphor. I think if you expand it a little bit more to lose family, lose family remains surprisingly untouched by this season, right? I mean the stuff that we assume the stuff with the language that Hank was doing we assume happened before well we know happened before this his wife didn't mm. die during this season so mm-hmm. like n- none of them die none of like betsy goes back to not being on the drugs and still having cancer like all of this yeah. stuff is kind of i don't know i don't ha- know how to recognize reconcile this this idea of a palindrome with it's not it's not that nothing has changed in a, in a word well, see, right the way, it's just here, that, here's my take on it i don't this change stuff there's that's not included in the word palindrome i know it literally means yeah. the same forward as backwards and i was trying to apply this does this literally hold true for this season and i didn't think so but what if we look at both seasons as a whole mm-hmm. you know chronolo- uh, in chronological order this is essentially you could argue the story of how hansi turns into moses tripoli <laughs> Who is the top boss of, uh, you know, Fargo, Minnesota, and then how he eventually is brought down by Lorne Malvo, who is at the same time ascendant. Uh-huh. So, like those two threads, the peaking and the falls of these these crime bosses and these uh, henchmen that become kingmakers. I guess that's kind of interesting. Like if if you literally took these things in either chronological or reverse chronological order, they're essentially the same theme and beats as stories. Yeah, the the kernel of the idea is there, and I think that's all I really needed. Yeah, um, I've I've done a lot of thinking about this season in the light of a couple of things. Well, first of all, we took a lot of flack on the for the last podcast. Apparently, as I expected. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's fair to call it a minority opinion to say that you didn't like the UFO, but certainly was an unpopular one. Sure. With and, and it was very when I said polarizing, and I think actually you're the thing you're the one who said polarizing. That's a very good choice of words because I there was a big gulf between the people who liked the UFO and the people that didn't like the UFO, and there was really no way yeah. to like oh I see 
I see where I missed the bridge. There wasn't any real way to bridge those opinions. No. They were very strong, no. polarly, polarly opposite opinions. And I think there's there's room for you to understand what Noah Hawley is trying to do and still not enjoy it, still not like it. Sure. Uh, and I think that's where I fall because I, I've thought a lot about, you know, the aliens and kind of this, this level of absurdity that's gone on throughout the season uh, and how those things fit together and kind of, you know, the, the Camus idea of the myth of Sisyphus. And that has been today, just today, I finally found out what myth of Sisyphus is actually about. Yeah. I well, no. Whenever anyone talks about the myth of Sisyphus, they talk about the guy roll like pushing the stone up the hill, right, uh-huh. over and over, and how dumb it is, and how futile and silly the whole thing is. Uh-huh. No one ever mentions the final line of that story, which is one must imagine Sisyphus happy, yeah. because Sisyphus has come to embrace the absurdity of all of it, and is defi- now content and, and- with it. And sees this as his mission. He has redefined his reality to have a mission. Right. It's like most people leave Sisyphus in kind of like, I guess, how people imagine. Like, if you lose your religion, you just sit here and suddenly you're in a universe that has no meaning. They imagine him in hell. Right. But at the end of that, like, most people eventually progress to the point of realization of, oh, well, if life has no meaning, then we are free to define whatever meaning we want and find our happiness. And that's actually kind of a liberating, exciting thing. And that has been my reflexive reaction to Noreen this entire season. Yeah. Where she's always expecting, oh, but Camus is this, Camus is this. And Camus doesn't actually say what Noreen thinks he's saying. Well, she, to be fair, she's not finished the book. <laughs> really? She <laughs> never finished the book? No, I mean, she's, she was reading okay. Myth of Sisyphus in this episode, and she's like, what, three quarters of the way through? All so, right. you know, she okay. had, I, I think you can be forgiven by, you know, for... Absolutely. She, she's still down in, uh, in, in purgatory, in limbo. She, she hasn't been let out. Uh, but it, she needs uh, she needs a black man to blow his head off and feed her poison so she can understand and, and be happy. Yeah, I, I think that just that recontextualizes a lot of this season for me. Uh-huh. Whereas they're not trying to say, "Hey, look at this absurdity. What's the point?" Uh-huh. They're trying to say, "Hey, take your own point away from this. Take make your own conclusion from it." And I think that's more interesting. Certainly. I, I still don't like the I alien don't think thing. it makes it a more successful form of entertainment, but um you but know I that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, and that, like, going forward with Fargo, I I don't again, I'm trying to figure out how I can avoid this happening again because I, I think that's a lot of this is expectation. Mm-hmm. Like you it, it it's you know, while it's true that there are many, many, many tones in Cohen Brothers movies, it's very rare that they would put like a raising Arizona in the middle of a null country for old men. Sure. Now, you can have some grim humor, but you can't get quite a slapstick as, you know, you got to kind of decide which mm-hmm. movie you're going to make. And I think that's the, my least favorite movie of theirs probably is uh, Burn After Reading. And I think that's my big problem is they did try to go for like broad comedic overtones, but also a little existential angst and also some senseless violence. And it was, you know, to me, it wasn't appealing at all. But I also hmm. my my big takeaway. So I'm I, I finished watching this, and I'm going through our forums. I'm reading reviews, and the TV's on in the background because uh, my DVR shut off. And what was playing? But the Family Guy Star Wars special. Okay, and that is essentially every five seconds you get a sick Lucas reference with mm-hmm. you know a modern sarcastic take to it. 
And some people fucking love Family Guy, and they fucking th- and they're Star Wars fans that think that that Family Guy Star Wars specials they're like the best things in sliced bread. And as I was sure. watching, I'm like, I don't know, man, this is dumb. Like at some point, it's not saying anything. At it's some just... point, it's just you've taken a ref, you've taken a a, a, a bunch of Star Wars flashcards, shuffled together, and, and dealt them off the top deck. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity played in random mode. Yeah. Uh, which you it's know, like quoting going around quoting Monty Python's Holy Grail all the time. Yeah, what are you trying to say? Yeah, so when that's you not say that's, knee. that's not like, like a really unique dis- or concept. I mean, the South Park guys like seven years ago made fun of the Family Guy writers for this essential thing. Yeah, sure. I'm kind of worried that Noah Hawley is becoming like the Family Guy of drama because. <laughs> he, yeah, and and I, I floated this idea in the forums, and surprise, surprise, the people that really liked the, him doing this, did, you know, didn't care for the comparison. And I'm not saying the Fargo is Family Guy. You're I was sure. saying that eventually, if you try to cram as many word for word, shot for shot sequences from the Coen Brothers films into this series, that it becomes self referential for self referential sake, and it really starts distracting me from. Hmm the main story like at some point i mean it's like okay sometimes that's cool like you take mama mia it's a musical entirely made of abba's catalog and they tell somehow a narrative plot by stitching all these things with some very few interstitial scenes to kind of get the progression going Mm -hmm. but it's it's entertaining and it's fun and I think there's a little bit of cleverness to that like how many direct situations can we lift from all these unrelated movies and and still use it in this a, a plot that moves forward. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's a very tra- it's a transformative kind of mashup culture thing to do. But I I sometimes I think that he needs to err on the side of telling the story rather than going for the sick reference. Yeah, I mean that. I don't know. I I guess that didn't bother me a ton, except where it started to interfere with the plot. I mean, like I. If you throw in a line from Fargo or a line from The Big Lebowski or nod to it, I don't really have a problem with it. It's where it's like... When you force it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's clashing tone, too. You you kind of hit it on the head where you say, you know, the Fargo or the, the Coen brothers do a lot of different types of movies. Yeah. And they all have different themes and tones, but trying to force them all into one felt wrong to me. Like this, the stuff with the aliens coming out of nowhere and just like... This is not the kind of absurdity that I expect from Fargo. Right. Like, Fargo was always grounded in a sense of reality. Yeah. Whereas, I get some of the other Coen Brothers stuff is not. Sure. Like, I don't know how you reconcile... I don't the stuff that happens uh, in Barton Fink Uh toward the end of that with reality. Sure. But Fargo's not like that for me. And so this show being Fargo, named Fargo, and doing all these other things is kind of a problem for me. Because that's sub- subverting my expectations in a way that doesn't feel satisfying to me. Yeah. It's, it's almost like if you name it this thing, I want it to reflect kind of what that thing is. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also, it's like, you know, I know there's like a reason people can disagree, but I feel like it's, it's a matter of degrees because no one's suggesting that you could take like Tom Hanks's character from The Lady Killers and take <laughs> oh. that character and make them... Uh, and and that was Dodd Gerhardt. Uh-huh. Everybody be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. So it's not that the, we don't get the references, and it's not that the references are not always used cleverly. It's just that like we can all agree that there are some references that just wouldn't work. 
we're just kind of arguing over matters of degrees. Like sure. how much it didn't work for me, how much it did work for you, that kind of thing. Um, and the big thing with the aliens. Yeah. Um, uh, are you going to read a ton of feedback about that? Do you have, I have a bunch? A bit, I took a few. Because I know we got a lot. I took a, a few defenses that I okay. thought were unique and, and original. Okay. I mean, we might rehash some of this, but I think the the thing there is, you know, it's an absurdity that's on a level I never saw in Fargo. And then you put that on top of, like, the Deus Ex Machina of saving the main character. and. Yeah. And just the the idea, like I get it. It's 1979. People were concerned about aliens, mm-hmm. still are to a certain degree. Like I just, I don't. It didn't mesh with, I guess, where I wanted this thing to go. Yeah, and I also think that's a that's not a great defense. The fact that this really happened, defense. Like, yes, in this big world, lots of weird things happen, and also I don't believe in UFO encounters. Um, so. The fact that there are some people out there that had something unexplained that they want to say is a UFO. And, like, you know, our first reaction to the Minnesota cop is like, oh, somebody had a few too many drinks at the Waffle Hut, uh, hit some some black ice, lost control of their squad card, and suddenly, aliens. Yeah. But, you know, like, I don't think it's a great defense to be like, well, it's, this has actually happened or this, uh, this, this was actually possible. And it's also weird. That's another thing that um, at a certain point, all these anecdotes – that everyone's like, ooh, what great writing this is, and it's so fun to see, you know, uh, Patrick Wilson saying it. The fact that they're just really rec- reciting anecdotes from Wikipedia is kind of takes away from, I think, the charm of it, too. Like, it's oh, fine. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe once or twice a season you can okay. do that, but when it happens, like, ten times a season, it starts feeling... And I get it. I get it. There is this concept of they're doing this for a theme and they're trying to tell you this, this like these, these yeah. ideas of true stories within false stories within true stories. But number one, I get it. Number two, it's like, I, I guess I'm always disappointed when I find out, you know, like the 10th thing I look up that are, it was a writer's idea is just something he clipped from the head, the, the newspaper. Okay. Well, I think, so a lot of the things I'm saying, I'm saying from a, a negative perspective because that's how I feel about it. But I think it depends on how much you're willing to open yourself up to the absurdity of this season and the absurdity of particular events like the UFO. Uh, mm, sure. Whether or not you're going to see this as a negative or positive thing. And I don't mm-hmm. think there's a wrong answer here. I no, think there are this is people's opinions multiple answers, and they're all opinions. Can I ask you something? Yeah. What, in your opinion, is the better season? Season one or season two? Season one. Okay, uh, would you agree with this statement? Overall, season two was better. Season one, though, had a much more satisfying in stretch and, and and maybe had a higher ceiling, but the overall average quality of season two was better. No. See, I, that's where I come down. Okay. Like, I think season two is a much more interesting, um, you know, the, the, the use of period piece made it, I think, visually interesting. Um, the setup was, you know, on the surface more exciting and it just led up to this big, you know, massacre at Sioux Falls city that ultimately kind of wheels fell off two episodes ago. And then we ended up with this thing kind of limping to the middle where in the other, in season one, the dance between Lorne and Lester was extremely interesting. We had a diversion into the land of the supermarket King that kind of pulled the season down for me. But the last three mm-hmm. episodes were like fire, and that's yeah. what sticks with me. 
I mean, there are a lot of things that stick with me. I mean, that that snow scene from season one was stylistically sure. as interesting as anything they did in season two. Uh-huh. Um, I liked the character of Lester, I think, more than the characters of Ed and Peggy. Sure. Uh, marginally so. I mean, it, it wasn't like night and day. Mm-hmm. I still liked Ed and Peggy a lot. Um or or enjoyed watching them. I don't know if I mm-hmm. liked them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lester, there was some some quality. Maybe it's just, you know, he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Martin Sheen or whatever his name Martin is. Martin Freeman Sheen. Yeah. Martin Freeman. Uh, he's a great actor. And I just, I really, I liked him. Uh, yeah, but I also think maybe maybe the highs were not as high in season two and the lows weren't as lows because the UFO... You know, I don't know. It, it's it's hard for me to say. I do think that I, I, cer- certainly there was nothing in this season for me that compares to Martin or uh, Lester going to the travel agency to try to get his paperwork, sure, and sending his new wife into there. Like to me, yeah. that was like heart in your throat, uh, eyes over your fingers over your eyes, kind of TV watching and. Mm-hmm. It threatened to go there a couple times this season, but it never quite got there. And and the 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 best case, you know, we had a UFO that came in the middle. Now there was a lot of things I think in this episode that I really really liked. Number one, yeah, me too. I kind of think that the final soliloquy between with Hank explaining his writing, uh-huh. it didn't exactly made peace with the UFO thing for me. But this concept of mixed messages. You know, like like it's mm-hmm. it's that's another palindromic thing. Um, we went into because of all the events in the season, we went into Hank's office and we all saw UFO language. Now there was a couple of people sure. like, well, we don't really know what it was, but I think that's you know your everyone's first impression is, oh shit, this is some UFO research he's doing. Yeah, that's fair. But it turns out that no, he's working on his universal language, which also is a true story. Some guy actually did this. Yeah, lots of people have. <laughs> yeah, um, but this. I thought that was really interesting that we all saw the same thing, but misinterpreted it. Okay. Um, And like, how true is that for this story as a whole? Because that was something I I always, you know, I know you were kind of like lost patience with the search for Rye, but I thought that was interesting is that everyone had access to the same information, but because of their biases and what they knew and what they're carrying into their decision-making process came to different conclusions about it. Hmm. Which is where I thought a lot of the tension, the early tension that that was really effective worked in in the first half of the season. So, like, that, I think, was a really kind of a stylistic and storytelling and narrative triumph. The fact that he was able to bring that together and end with a really, really, really good scene with Ted Danson. Yeah, that final scene um, with the family there. Well, I guess it's not the final scene, but that close to final scene with the family there is heartfelt in a way that uh, feels honest. And is a great way to cap off this season, I think. Yeah. Like, if you were... So, a lot of people are kind of disappointed with this finale. I'm not one of those. I think this finale was really strong. Um, But you have to come in with a certain perspective. If you're not expecting kind of a a denouement or... Well, yeah, let's stick with denouement. Let's Mm. honor Camus by sticking with denouement. (laughs) By butchering French. Uh Uh, Uh-huh. (laughs) Denouement. Or an epilogue for people who don't know understand what that means. Um, Okay. If you don't come in expecting the epilogue here, you're going to be disappointed. All of the action 
took place last episode. So do you think it was a mistake? Do you think it was a mistake then to open up with this pulse pounding war pigs with Lou running down the alley? Because I thought like I think so. Holy shit, this is gonna be badass. We're gonna find out where Lou got his limp. Uh We're going to you know, it's gonna be this last stand, what's gonna happen to Ed and Peggy? And all that stuff just wrapped up in like 10, 15 minutes, and the rest was all, as you say, epilogue. And some of the, yeah. like, I very viscerally don't like Hanzi being. Oh, Tripoli? Tripoli, with, uh, and, and meeting, I, and the origin of if numbers and wrench. Okay. All that let's stuff talk, I, is, is, is bad news. But let's I, get into some specifics there, because a lot of people might not realize this. I didn't okay. until I read an interview. I, I was like, Oh, there's a deaf kid. Numbers was deaf in the I, first I mean, season. So is... Everyone, I think, on first watch got the fact that this is supposed to be wrenching numbers. If you're if you're yeah. a really if you're a po- if you're a podcast listening Fargo fan, <laughs> but I did not remember that the gangster's name was Tripoli. I did not either. But as soon as he started talking about changing your face, I'm like, I I, I was on my phone and a go- and I'm like, oh son of a bitch, they really really went there. So to be clear, we're talking about season one where the guy is eating fish. Uh-huh. Uh, this this gangster guy and and I forget exactly what the scene is, but there, it's in Fargo and uh, this guy is eliminated. Uh-huh. That truck, uh, uh, Lester killed the trucker guy, who was this guy's you know low level management, you know, yeah. b- b- whatever trucker coordinator teamster guy <laughs> and this guy's all head in a bag and this guy's all like yeah. i don't give a shit and the way he kind of delivers the lines is kind of hansi-esque i mean it's there but damn like this they submission. really look absolutely nothing alike and i like 1970s reconstructive surgery is not that good people come on also doesn't that really take away from hansi's world where i'm tired of this life like, uh, I thought he was talking about killing, or maybe he was just talking about being someone's, uh, you know, uh, less, not as yeah. good as... Because the other thing, which I thought was highly entertaining, is the fact that Seppenwall, in his review and in the comment section, is utterly refusing to deal with the concept that uh, Hanzi is Otto's child. He is. Point of fact. The point of fact. O- Otto and the the Native American... Maid, cook. they call her a maid in yeah. this episode, but I don't know what she is. She's she's the house a servant, butler of some you, kind. Yeah, want. I mean that's what she is. It's I don't sure think she gets a salary. No, there's nothing good about that relationship. No. Uh, th- but yeah, we find out in a single line that Hanzi is kind of the love child of Otto and her. Which really, the fact that he was sent to reservation school and the fact that he's not even mentioned in, as a child. I mean. I, I guess that Floyd doesn't. How could she not know? Does that make Floyd retroactively dumber than we think, or does she know but overlooks it? Yeah, I'm not certain. I don't know, but I thought that kind of was sort of interesting. But doing that and then also making him the big bad of Fargo. Well, he's not the big bad. He's the big bad that gets taken down by Lester in in Fargo season yeah. one. I thought that was another one of these instances where. All the, everything, the wrench and numbers thing, and the Tripoli thing, and uh, that all, all of that was too cute. All together, it was is way too cute. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think they did need that that information about Hansi though to to bring a satisfying conclusion to his story. That's uh, yes, as you're far right. as him being Otto and the you're right. son. I do think that this undermines the, la- the the experiment with narration last season or last episode because, like, seriously, no one knows that Hansi. Was the love like? I get the feeling that some of the kids know, like, like Dodd and and Bear might know. 
Well, maybe no one did. Maybe that's a secret that he took to his fate grave. It's possible. It's possible. But I, I, I don't know. I thought that was a satisfying bit of information that recontextualizes his reasons Especially for betraying the family. Especially since Hansi's mom's got a free car and a bag full of money and a story to tell. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, there is one person who knows the truth. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe she, uh, Hansi got to her and says, you know, if you respect me, Ma, uh, I've had a rough life. Uh, maybe, uh, may- maybe not make this a public thing. I don't know. Yeah, but the, the reason I like it is it, it says a lot about why he it does. gave up that life. You like, know, he's I, tired not only of the shit he gets when he walks into a bar for a glass of water, he's tired of the shit he gets from his fucking family day in and day out who won't acknowledge who he is. Don't want him to be a part of the family. Want him to be uh, some kind of outcast servant. Right, and how like, many times he was sent to fetch the sons of Otto. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a... I'm a less good version. Like I'm not even considered in any of this stuff. Yeah, I, and yeah, I, I, I wish I. I actually know. I feel like I understand all of Hansi's motivation for everything he did. The only yeah. thing I don't understand is why he backed Dodd's play to begin with. Other than I guess if he was maybe this, I'm just having a podcast revelation. Uh, maybe he hated the Gerhardt so much that he backed the wrong dog on purpose. To bring them down. Like, Dodd's an yeah. idiot. Here's the opportunity. This, this, the, the old woman might be able to turn these things around. Fuck them. I'm going to hand them the gasoline and yeah. the matches and the accelerant. I can see that. So that now I feel like every that, that one one line of exposition, I, I do feel like there, there's got to be a cleverer way that you could uh, have that information passed through than the dude from Buffalo. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Are you that guy? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know who this guy. Has this guy? This guy's seen the maid, right? Sure. And he's seen Otto. Hmm. He's not going to assume that Mike Milligan is the love child of Otto and the maid. I, I mean, he did. He he did. So I'm wrong about that. Well, but I mean, he's a fool. It, it could have. I don't know. I I took it as maybe he could be shining him on a bit. Okay. Like, he is playing you know, calling that you the, whole scene you're, a little. Yeah, I'm like I'm calling you a bastard to your face, but in kind of like a plausibly deniable way. Sure. And I feel oh, like that my, was kind of the fault. I, I feel like that you. was kind of the tone of that. It was, yeah. That whole scene really. But that's a great scene. That's no, a fantastic it was. scene. It was. Mike Milligan with his for, for Mike Milligan is the best of times, it was the worst of times <laughs> this episode. <laughs> it was. It was. How do you feel about the way they left Mike Milligan? He he goes back to Kansas City and they say, Great job, buddy. We're promoting you. Here's your new desk with a fancy typewriter on it. I saw the. I think the most insightful thing about this episode I read on Alan Suppenwall's comment section, where a person said that my favorite lens to view this ep- this this season was um, that this is a statement about big corporations versus individuality, and like this is Walmart mm-hmm. versus the mom and pop stores. You know, obviously Walmart is the Kansas City mafia. The mom and pop stores are. Uh, you know, the Gerhardts, mm-hmm. but also like how Main Street America affects this too. Like Ed and Peggy are average day uh, Americans and they're the types that if you stopped them on the street, they'd be like, oh yeah, we totally like Floyd's Dime and, and Save and we like, uh, you know, Joe's Butcher Shop or whoever, uh, Big Joe's Butcher Shop and we'd never go to Walmart. But then every time Walmart opens in a small town, the people are like, oh, I can't beat those savings, and they slit yeah. the sh- small oh, time shopkeep's throat. And that's what kind of Ed and Peggy do indirectly. And also how these big stores 
uh, you know, co-opt individuality mm-hmm. and kind of harness them for this m- mediocrity, or they'll take, uh, you know, uh, really genuine striking individuals and package them and sell them like Mike Milligan, you know? Sure. Hey, you know, what brought you here was the cowboy suit and the fro, the kind of, you know, mid-level fro and <laughs> uh-huh. your, your, your personal essence. You walk in the door and bam, there's Mike Milligan. Uh, fuck all that. Put it in a closet. Here's your IBM Selectric typewriter. A lot of good. His Jabberwock, he's going to do him in that office. huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe he'll just sit there typing out Jabberwocky for years on end. I don't know. Like it might, suit him, it might suit him good on the golf on the golf course because in, in the executive <laughs> golfer, there's always the guy who gets a little too liquored up and just starts spouting nonsense. <laughs> he can be like, snicker snack when his Warble Club. <laughs> sure. Uh, it'd be, be a hit. Uh, Mike, always cracking wise. Yeah. And it makes me wonder about Mike's fate. Like, I, I know. He's he's kind of just left up in the air. I don't think he has a clear, like, this is the future of Mike. Because he's clearly going to be dissatisfied in this position. Well, right. And, like, he's too much of a personality. He's too much of a character. I mean, he goes into the Gerhardt's home. And say what you will about the Gerhardt's. That was a home with some personality. And it's got the Weimar yeah. Republic kind of quasi-Nazi shit hanging up. Uh-huh. And it's all dark wood paneling and intimate seating and sumptuous leather and big roaring fires and... Strudels and Strudels and Schnitzel, and then you go to what he's going to inherit. What he thought he was getting was the yeah. throne to this empire. I will now wear the crown, and what he actually gets is a corner office with a tiny well, not a corner office, um, a, a phone book office with a little window and a typewriter. Yeah. And and, the, and a sweat postage. If you can save us a million dollars a year in postage, that's where you'll really And I gotta imagine the the truthfulness and the, the tragedy of his own words are ringing in his head when he's like, the past can no more change the future than the future can change the past, right? Like, the, the times they are changing. Well, this is like the and revolution. sorry, Mike, this is who you who you need to be now if you want to be a quote-unquote businessman gangster. Right. If you want to roll with the, the punches and change with the times, you have to change who you are. And I don't know that Mike is satisfied doing that. He certainly doesn't look it at the end of this. Sure. sure. So... I, I think his future is up in the air. I don't. I don't know that I picture him at the desk for much longer than about a week. Yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, that's the thing. Like, or maybe he just. Uh, I mean, the sadder way to interpret that is that he eventually buckles down and says, "All right, I'm going to yeah. play this money game." And and uh, the Mike Milligan, the the colorful, vibrant, um, fast talking, Lewis Carroll quoting motherfucker is going to be. Yeah. I mean, that's the other he's thing gone. is, like, Above all, how bad does guy. the Fargo job have to suck for, you know, because uh, whoever Casey Big Man is, um, uh, the, the uh, Arkin character oh, that yeah. directed it. Uh, Sammy Tonin. Yeah, Sammy Tonin. <laughs> However, he, Wait, he sees... Theo Tonin. Sorry, Sammy's his son. No, Sammy's, yeah, he's the yeah. idiot. However shitty he thinks that job is, and he describes all oh, this middle management paper pushers, like, how bad must that job be for Mike to be the big swinging? Yeah, this, this is the big swinging dick office. Yeah, that tiny little cell. Yeah, like what the fuck? Do they sleep on nail beds? And <laughs> yeah, the people do they literally the push build, boulders upside the mountains in the Fargo uh, regional office? Like what the hell? And the I, you might be right about about Mike changing his per his tune or or kind of changing who he is to adapt because Mike is above all a perceptive guy, right? He he intuitively understands 
certain things about the world. And he could probably see how Adam Markin is right about this. Maybe he becomes a financial terrorist. I mean, like maybe the saving and loan collapse is because Mike Milligan found a few loopholes and then then the real estate boom and then the you know banking crisis it's all mike milligan he's he he has become the the, the world's most dangerous man <laughs> I, th- I think it's clear that he has some soul searching to do and i don't know what the outcome of that is necessarily going to be yeah. which is interesting it's an interesting place to leave mike milligan with a big question mark yeah uh what about betsy do you want to talk about betsy yet i thought I thought that the very beginning of this episode and the very end of this episode wrung some genuine emotion out of me. And yeah. Lou, uh, Lou's very matter of fact, very tortured rendition of the story of the show's open and crawl, I thought was really good, especially when he says, out of respect for the dead, you know, the, yeah. the rest of the facts remain unchanged or whatever the hell they say. And You've Betsy's wife laying there. Betsy's is lying there and kind of like a silk pillow. Is she in a coffin? Yeah. She looks like really rough and maybe she's been embalmed. And then she takes a breath, and I'm like, oh, wow. Um, and that's, you know, that's the other thing. Like, I, I thought it was an interesting choice to have both Hank and Betsy emerge unscathed, even though we know they yeah. don't, both don't make it to season one. Like, I'm glad that I we mean, didn't I have to I mean, I assume that deal. Hank dies of old age or, sure, you know, whatever. I would imagine. Uh, Betsy probably eventually dies of cancer. But th- that's yeah. the thing about Betsy, right? She but goes th- through this bout with, with cancer and the, with these pills, which... Uh, I don't know exactly what they are, but I've gone back. As speaking of palindromes, I've gone back and forth on these pills. Like I was convinced they were real, and I was convinced they were sugar, and now I'm kind of yeah, convinced yeah. they were real again. Although I suppose she could be having a psychosomatic reaction to fake chemotherapy pills, supposedly uh, or potentially. I mean, um, but but the thing is, you know, when you when you talk about it in these palindrome terms, she's kind of right back to where she was at the beginning of this season, right? Yeah, she's once again got cancer. She can no longer take these pills. There's not much hope, um, other than to just enjoy the time she has left. And I think th- if you want to bring palindrome into it, I think that's where you where it's most appropriate. Yeah, it's probably through Betsy and Lou and Hank. Yeah, and and Molly is part of that, but not really. And, and her dream of the directly. future that kind of like you know that helps make the the palindrome like that's the D in the radar, I guess. Um, is it's a direct lift slash ripoff of, uh, you know, raising Arizona of high, high's vision of the future there with a, like a lot of similar beats, but I, that really worked for me. Yeah. Because I, of I her so. vocal performance and the, you know, uh, just watching Molly grow up with, with uh-huh. Lou by her side and then, you know, knowing what happens in season one, like all that stuff is really, really good. Seeing all the season one characters together really did it heart. for me. Yeah, I liked it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I did. I was like, OK, so Molly is what? Maybe 12 years old in this scene where her and Lou are playing with this this little uh, Mattel handheld football yeah. game. Yeah. Get Lou. Get her something better, man. It's it's like 1991, probably 1992. The <laughs> well, no fucking Super Nintendo no, is no, out. No, 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 no. If she's six and seventy nine, then and when she's twelve, <laughs> okay, all right, you're 84, right. Eighty four. No, that's about state of the art for eighty four. Yeah, you could get a twenty six hundred. I guess she, she would be like twelve ish. Although I guess Nintendo, I believe, didn't the <laughs> NES come out in eighty nine? No, it came out in eighty five. Well, okay. in, in Japan it did. I think it came out in '86 here. Okay, so yeah, if, if if she's like if she's in that range, and that's other things. Like I didn't get it into when it was first released. Hell no. Um, Actually, no. I think it came out in '85 here and earlier in Japan. Whatever. 
Whatever. Uh, the the point is, yeah, he, there are things that are better on the market. Come on, Lou. Yeah. This fucking sh- oh, come on. I like I said, man. I don't know. I <laughs> I, I don't know. I. I can They're, just say I about that for handheld time, handheld had an entertainment. NES. Yeah, no, I'm, but why? Why go handheld? You're on the couch. You don't need handheld. Go I, with an NES. I had a lot of those handheld LCD games. Is what I'm saying. Sure. Had one of the tank where you went across. At the very and tried least, to get an Atari. And... An Atari had been out for a long time. Yeah, but you get know, her that man. Maybe that was. You can find those at a yard sale for like five dollars each. The crash had happened. Okay, what if she? You're misinterpreting <laughs> this. She's giving that to Lou as a present for him to get ah, him into the video because old man loves this. He loves he, the football. He, he loves, loves football. football. He can't really handle the modern stuff. So yeah, the joystick he doesn't you know, right. doesn't okay. like. But you know, she's trying to get in, get him in that way. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Recontextualize that scene. Uh, what else? Uh, so I want to talk about the beginning because we kind of glossed over that. I I felt like that. Um, I felt like maybe the first 15 minutes of this show should have been shoved into last season, last episode, so then this yeah. could just literally been a wrap-up, emotional, tying everything into a neat little thematic bow, because it's really weird to have that whole, you know, war pigs going, yeah. and but then all of the Hanzi stuff was dream Hanzi, except for the very... I think for, the very beginning, yeah, where, where, where Lou gets Ed. a drop on him. Yeah, and, and he obviously shoots Ed, and then yeah. I, I think... I think Hanzi does track them, too. So my interpretation of this is, first of all, in my notes, I wrote Black Sabbath really sets the tone. Sure. Well, apparently it didn't. not. It did not. <laughs> it set a tone that I I was deceived into thinking would be the tone for the rest of the episode. This is why we need a universal language. You're right. If that had been a symbol instead of music, yeah. I would have understood it. Kenny G. If you just played Kenny G at the beginning of this, <laughs> His everyone would have understood. His symbol's just a big saxophone yeah. with hair coming out the front. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so... Going through, here's my interpretation of the Hanzi stuff. I think, obviously, Hanzi shot Ed because Ed fucking dies. Sure. Uh, Hanzi, I think, tracked them to the supermarket where Lou encounters him. Hanzi goes into the supermarket. Wrong. Rattles the handle on the door. Wrong. But then hears Lou coming and takes off. No, so Lou, I think Lou runs him off before he goes into the supermarket because you'll notice that you think once, him once Lou and... shoots... Yeah, if you notice that those scenes are all shot in this really weird dream camera yeah, everything from the time from the time he goes into the supermarket and it's the only scenes like that that shot i okay. think that this is this is peggy's delusions kicking in certainly at some point so he got in, he yeah. got ran off outside the convenience store or the supermarket whatever and then lou and ben go inside and the peggy continues to hallucinate um because I feel like Hansi's like, you know, fuck this. I'm going to go and get yeah. my new face and my new credentials, and I'm out of here. I don't once, actually need to kill Ed Once, Once Lou, that's the second time in a couple minutes that this Lou fucker's got the drop on me, I'm out. Um, yeah, Lou's too good. Are you surprised that Lou and Ben have an antagonistic relationship? And I guess it's not super antagonistic in season one, because I felt like that Ben got a modicum of Lou's respect. Yeah. Because, yeah, you might be a shit cop, you might be a little bit, like, small C corrupt, but there's a dangerous dude with an assault rifle, and you came running with your revolver to help me, who's called you a dick. Yeah. You know? And then followed him in the direction that he went, so, like... I thought that was... I, I But I guess, on the other hand, Lou says, kind of a dick. Like, that's... He didn't say he's a total dick, or a major dick, yeah. or unredeemable dick. He's kind of a dick. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right. Ben did earn a bit of respect from Lou. 
A, a very, are. very small amount. And and I think, yeah, that's one of the lines that seals the deal for me uh-huh. is when they're able to relate in that way yeah. with just a single word foobar. Uh, so there's a little bit of, I think, misinformation on Reddit, uh, where the guy that pulls up and says, what's the trouble, young fella? People are saying that that was the cigarette smoking man from the X-Files. And the guy who gets shot through the neck or whatever. Yeah. And I did, a, I, I did, I got, I found a, a, a current within the last year or two high resolution, like 3000 by 2000 <laughs> image of, uh, William Davis, who was the cigarette smoking man. And they look a lot alike. Like it's the, the, the really? packs of cigarettes that put the miles on uh mr davis's tires but the thing is is this the guy in the fargo had two prominent like facial moles uh-huh. that this guy either airbrushes out of every single fucking photo he's ever had or he just doesn't have them okay but he Probably other than that he looks exactly like the dude and that, i'm like interesting i didn't even notice it yeah i don't know and i'm wondering like if william davis hears this podcast he's like what the fuck you're like down on high-res fi- pictures of me like what what kind of advanced stalker <laughs> shit is this but sure the surreal life of a quasi celebrity uh, yeah uh the, the other thing with ben mm-hmm. that that i or ben and lou in their scene later on when he kind of gets some respect from lou uh and ben's trying to deal with all this shit you know he's like what if what the fuck do i do how do i even begin to interpret this sure and and play it all out. <laughs> Lou gives some of the most ridiculous device or advice I've ever heard, which is start from the start and work your way to the end. Well, that's what you, know, it's, you start. It's from true, there. but it's so obvious. Yeah, that it's not even advice. It's that's just essentially like, every self help book I've ever read on procrastination. Sure, just start begin break it down to small tasks. And what'd you do? Work. You came to the hotel. All As right, who and then what'd you do? You went you. and you you your boss said he's going to get Wranglers and t shirts, <laughs> and then. No, it's like, ah, oh, it sounds like work. I'm going to go read it. It sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I thought that advice was particularly hilarious. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about that Mike Milligan scene where he's in the throne room of the uh, of, of autos. Um, what's the deal with his stare off he had with the baby face that he eventually lost? I want to say that's auto. I want to say that's Otto. In that. Some people said it was Simone, which I'm uh, not too old timey for yeah. Simone. But that would, if it was a pic- baby picture of Simone, that would make sense. But him, I mean, turning down that picture can be like closing the book on Otto. I don't know. See, I, I took it as sure almost it like is. you know, if you're having an affair on your lover and their picture is on your nightstand, it's like kind of one of those things. Like you either turn it away or you you put it down. Or you're moving on from, like, if you want to do a less shitbird kind of scenario, you're moving on after your wife or husband has died and you've got a new lover, and but you still got their picture, so you take it off the line. That's kind of the, like, almost he felt guilty hmm. rather than, yeah, Otto, there's you as a baby. Now you're a dead man. I don't know. Okay. I, I think that's not knowing who that is, actually, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Floyd or Otto or... Probably not, but maybe Simone. Mm-hmm. I seriously doubt it. Nah, there's no way. Picture's unless they did an old, old unless opinion. they took her to old time sepia tone baby picture day. Yeah, they took her to the Sears. 1950s version of Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. I, it's open to interpretation. Certainly, there's no clear idea who that okay. is. What did you think about Ed and Peggy's sequence of locking themselves in a meat freezer? Did you were you surprised Ed didn't make it out of the finale? Because I was really thinking that. Uh, Ed and Peggy both walk. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, didn't mind it. Didn't, no. it, was, it was a perfectly fine artistic choice. And I think the way he it went surprised out, me. realizing 
uh, the problems here in this relationship. Like, showing a rare moment of clarity from Ed, right? Like, uh-huh. Ed's always kind of deluding himself and just kind of not seeing the obvious for the sake of seeing what he wants to see and seeing things how he wants them to be. Uh-huh. Uh, I, just, I felt like Ed really had a moment here where he's like, look, Peggy, even if we get out of here, I think this is over. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, Peggy and, and Abe breaking up in Mad Men. Like after she st- stabbed him through the gut with the homemade spear, and he's on the he's on the way to the emergency room. He's like, you know what? I'm done. Like okay, and, and uh, a depressance yeah, yeah. of mind's like I've only got a couple minutes left on this earth. I just want to make sure that we are done, so. Uh-huh. And it's your fault. And I was fine with the way things were. Blah. I thought sure. that was pretty. Like it's not. I don't think that's a correct interpretation. That's my amused, sarcastic interpretation. Yeah, <laughs> he, my interpretation. He rage quit their relationship before he died. Yeah, I think Ed realizes that it's just not going to – what yeah. he wants is not going to happen with this woman, and so he's not going to delude himself. Yeah, like even if we make he's it out of here – fully actualized even at if, this point. Even if we make it out of here, we're not making it out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Good or moment. not funny. No, that, good, that was good. Yeah, Smart and and good moment for Ed. Uh, and I was thinking, is he going to – are they going to freeze to death in this meat locker? Are they going to like – That's Hansi, what I thought. Is Hansi going to either find them and lock them from the outside – or like just nobody's play. ever gonna find him, and they're gonna be too scared yeah, to come I, I, out. When they kept on sh- when they cut the dream Hanzi, because uh, I'd already convinced myself. Well, no, I hadn't. I'm sorry. I'm making myself so smarter uh, than <laughs> than what I actually was. Uh, but when he first, when I first watched this, and I didn't know this was dream Hanzi, and I yeah. still thought it was like horror movie Hanzi uh, with the the camera angle, uh, and he was smoking them out. I thought that's what she thought they were doing, but I thought what was really going on is he just sat in a place on fire and let him burn to death. Sure. And I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of... That's dark. And I'm glad they didn't go that way, because I'm like, can the inside of that freezer really be any colder than the outdoors in Minnesota? <laughs> or, But they weren't exactly bundled up, neither. Except for the I natural mean, blubber they, Ed was rocking. Sure. They had big old coats on. They didn't have gloves. They didn't have hats. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, they, they might have frozen to death in there eventually. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go that way. Uh, I thought it was better what they actually did with it. So let's talk about Lou and Peggy in the car because that seems like where we're going to go next. Uh, can we talk about her reaction to this whole freezer thing and Hansi and the movie sure, and, like, to. how freaking psychotic she actually is? Like, she's clearly living in some alternate reality where movies are coming true and she's smelling smoke that is not there. She's seeing things that are not there. I mean, clear on clear psychotic break here, right? Yeah. She's seeing herself inside this Reagan movie. And I was, I kept thinking like, is, is Lou going to be the The Reagan Reagan in this situation? Is he going to come and shoot the Nazi at the door? Yeah. No, it's a shock that it it was just all in her head. Yeah. It shouldn't have been kind of like the UFO thing. It was a shock for me, but it shouldn't have been. Uh huh. Uh, and then of course Ed's dead, baby. Mm-hmm. Ed's dead. <laughs> yeah, couldn't get that line out of my head. Well, I was also hopeful once I realized that she is hallucinating that maybe she hallucinated Ed dead, dead too, and he was going to be able to get. <laughs> no, nope. I think he's dead. Yeah. Uh, okay, now let's talk about the car scene. So Lou, you know, has another of these true stories from Vietnam. Everything he says here is a true story, even the incredible. A Chinook uh, miracle family save thing. This all actually really happened, and you can look it up on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And he, he t- talks about this, and it's a pretty affecting scene. But he says, you know, when, when Ed is talking about protecting what's his, I didn't understand it, but I do. And he says, this is a rock we push, we men. We call it our burden, but it's really our privilege. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we've got a listener that has a different take on the feminism angle. I thought that was an interesting choice of words, especially then when the woman tries to kind of tell her side of the story and she's just shut down with like a people died. Well, so did a lot of people in Vietnam. Nobody, I didn't interrupt your fucking story with baby killer, baby killer, baby killer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I know it's not sure. that simple, but I think it's interesting that this guy talking about, especially in the guy who's been framed this entire season as largely being absent from it for his wife and daughter, granted yeah. during extreme circumstances. But for him to say, oh, us men are the protectors and this is our this is our privilege in the concept of the 2015 sense of the word privilege. I well, thought that was kind of interesting and subversive. I think it's more interesting to go with the the Sisyphus route, right? This is mm. him realizing that the burden is not actually a burden. He's recontextualizing it into a privilege. Like some people may see the family as the big rock that he's got to push up the hill and that that's a hell. Mm-hmm. Lou's choosing to see it as a privilege. Mm. But that's the thing. Like nobody is ju- – here, okay. So nobody's judging Lou for being a badass cop that's got an pr- important job mm-hmm. and he's not there for his kids. Of course they understand. What Peggy's point was, women, especially in 1979, couldn't do that. I'm not – yeah, I'm not jumping into Peggy's point here. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, okay. This is aside from Peggy's but I don't point, think you can what's in Lou's head. Sure, sure. I get that. But I'm saying like I want to compare these two because I think sure. they're intended to be a rebuttal to the other. Okay. And then – Lou completely shutting Peggy down and not considering because he's like, well, pe- pe- yeah. people have died, Peggy. But it's super interesting because she articulated that same argument to Hank before anyone but Rye had died. Right? What? When? I don't know what you When Hank about. came over to his house to guard her, I think maybe they okay. rested. So maybe this was after the butcher shop. But this is much earlier. A lot less people had died. Mm-hmm. And for arguably more under- you know, self-defense kind of reasons... Certainly several, you know, but Hank shut him down and said, you're a little, you know, when she's just essentially saying what the frustrations of being a woman. Oh, said, yeah, yeah. Are, Hank said, you're a bit touched, aren't you, hun? Like, sure. I, there's definitely some commentary here about men and women's roles. And, you know, like, like again, yeah. Peggy couldn't be a badass cop in the 1979 and ignore her sure. family, especially when one of them has cancer and be seen as anything but a heartless bitch where Lou is a great American hero for doing same. Sure. And I think, you know, a lot of that is, is interesting when considered in the light of season one, where Molly is kind of a badass cop, but also not taken seriously. And that's, well, it shows that there has been slight progress made, but not, not total progress. It's not completely. Yeah, okay but consider cool this. Now. I think that Molly is at least got a desk job. She's either a dispatcher or maybe, or maybe she's not even. Uh, she's not a frontline cop after she has the kid, and she's yeah. sidelined in that final episode. And Gus is the one that saves the day. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a there's potential meta commentary there. Sure, uh, but as far as like you know Molly's role in the whole thing, I think she's she's instrumental in it. Yeah. Um and and to ignore that I think is also uh, folly. But I, so here's here's an interesting thing. Like I think it muddies the waters a little bit that Peggy is clearly psychotic. Well, that's the other problematic thing about it. That like this person that's articulating I, these Yeah. Moder- I, I I view her as a tragic figure in sure. a lot of ways. I mean, her story is one of you know, being stuck with this guy who's kind of holding her back thanks to his own ideas of what he wants. Um, and she's kind of trying to live up to the notion she has in her head, and maybe there are some kind of societal expectations maybe. there. Certainly, certainly there are. Um, 
but she she's she's tragic. She's trying to do all sure. these things that are causing I think causing her to become psychotic, right? Sure. Like she's got too much stress in her life because of the way she's supposed to be and the way she wants to be yeah. not line up, not lining up correctly. And so I see her as a very tragic figure. But it is undercut with having her be crazy. She's full-blown crazy. I wish she hadn't been crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's the thing. I don't like, think it's totally undercut, but it is a little muddy. And I'm not crazy, like, in this sense of, like, Lester's crazy because he, bu- you know, bludgeoned someone with a hammer. Um, I'm talking about, like, clinically. Seeing things, hearing things, Not criminally things, like, insane, like, legit insane. Thinking you're living in an alternate dimension. No like, grasp on reality insane. Exactly. That, it is, I feel like that that's really weird to have a character you know, espousing these ideas. And it's also like, again, I go back to the problem I had with Betsy, the rev- revelation is she doesn't feel like she deserves Lou. Mm, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't know what Noah Hawley really thinks about the situation. Yeah. It's tough to say. Yeah. I and, have a clear idea of what I've come away with based on what he's shown me. Yeah. Um, and I view Peggy certainly as a more tragic character than she is like just plain crazy. Yeah. And, and sure. not to be pitied at all. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little, a little bit of a stretch on my part, I think. No. And like that, that frustration of not being understood, that final scene of Peggy where it's like, yeah. look, you don't have to agree with me, but at least it's like, you know, that's her last face that we see in these series is essentially my face. When people write in and tell me, you just don't understand references to the man who wasn't there and hit trickers guys. It's like, ah, oh. you don't have to agree with me, but I do pray, place a high premium on being understood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. Lou's like, well, you know, a lot of people die, but I understand. I don't know what she wanted from Lou. Maybe yours is like, yeah. I, I honestly, as a man, I can't, I can't understand and empathize with what you're talking about. You're right. Or maybe just the, maybe just to shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but it's, yeah, the, I, the frustration on her is palpable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I feel sorry for her in a certain, in a certain way. Uh, just, I feel sorry for a lot of characters. You know, I feel sorry for Mike. I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for Simone. I feel sorry for which, by the way, who is by the way Betsy, super dead. I guess. Yeah, we found out Simone totally dead, shot mm-hmm. through the heart. Bears to blame. Yep. Uh, he, he gives, gives oh Danny boy a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad there were several things they did in this episode that needed to be wrapped up. Loose ends that I felt like very economically they tied up. Mm, yeah, no, right? I the Simone thing just showing all the Gerhards who've died. Sure, I'm actually I'm actually amazed. I liked this episode as much as I did, given what a fiasco, in my opinion, last week was. Yeah, uh, uh, and then we have the good night scene, which is the final scene, which I thought was a good bookend. Yeah, another palindrome moment because I believe that yeah. was in the pilot as well. I think so. I think that was how that one ended. Uh, which feels like it's been forever ago. Yeah, I was just thinking like. You know, I guess it's been two and a half months. I've been pushing this rock up this hill for so long. <laughs> sure. Uh, what did you think of the commercial for Hail Caesar? I think this is the first time I've actually seen it. It's the new Coen Brothers film. I didn't. I didn't have commercials in mind. Oh, it was, uh, DVR town. Ah, well, I DVR, but I saw. It's like, wait a second. This is in the middle of a Coen Brothers show, and there is, um, uh, there is George Clooney dressed up goofy. Uh-huh. Like my Cohen, my Cohen alarm went off, and I backed it up, and sure enough, it's uh, got uh, Clooney and Tilda Swinton, and uh, uh, who's the Magic Mike guy? 
Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. Yeah. It's oh got, it's, no! What are you doing, nah, Coen Brothers? Man, Channing Tatum's. Uh, I, uh, I I like Channing Tatum. I don't like Channing Tatum. Why? Because I don't think he's a good actor. Of granted. And I don't think he's as good looking as people say he is. Okay. He's got a good body, and that's the only thing he's got going for him. Uh, there are plenty of other people in Hollywood with good bodies. I feel like he's a decent. Bring in Justin Thoreau. That guy can act, <laughs> and he, he's arguably more easily more handsome. I feel like more handsome. I feel like he's a decent guy who uh, is very self-aware. <laughs> no, and, and he's a piece of shit, too. And, un- <laughs> <laughs> and understands his role in the world. And if he can get work looking. Okay. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I feel like the Coen brothers will know how to use him. Uh, you know, they're not going to put dog ears on him and put magic <laughs> levitation skates on him and saddle him with Jupiter Ascending. They're going to know exactly yeah. what he needs to do in this Is in he this playing role. opposite the Queen of the Bees? <laughs> no, he's not. Okay. But I'm... I'm uh, well, shit. I thought we'd have a nice discussion of that, but I'm I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's coming out, I think, January 8th. Yeah, I think, uh, if you guys are interested in that, the... Um... It's got strong first-run bald movies potential. Have we talked about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we're, we've got some first run movie ideas we're so gonna far. we're gonna be doing seeing things we're gonna see uh you know early early re- copy or early we're gonna we're gonna try to get movies out on friday for that are coming out that day yeah and it's gonna be premium only because that stuff costs money but but mm-hmm. yeah I, I feel like that's got strong strong first run bald movie potential sure sure uh, anything else you want to talk about with this episode? I feel like there's probably a lot of things um, because there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of nuance. Um, uh, when they start talking about Camus and Betsy blows him off as like, oh, he talks like someone without a six-year-old girl. Yeah. I wish Russ Cole bust into bedrooms like you're talking like a woman who hasn't seen a tweaker <laughs> inject a newborn through the eye with a hot shot of heroin. <laughs> And then put it in a microwave. Like it's like I would love for them to yeah. have a nihilism versus optimism off. Sure, the sure. woman dying of cancer with the man who's seen too many horrible things. Oh, and I mean, you know, Russ Cole's not going to like Betsy's next line. Where <laughs> sure, she's like, "Oh, do you want him to show up at the pearly gates and say it was all some French guy's joke?" Yeah. Oh, Russ is going to go off on and that. And it's like he's like, "Oh, we're just uh, she's going to come back with uh we all have our time a lot of us. Oh, time's a flat circle." <laughs> he starts carving up. Beer cans, whatever yep. they drink in the north. I think it's Bud. I think they're drinking Bud. Really? Yeah. Not uh, Natty. Wasn't it? I know. I thought. I thought I saw Bud Light cans or Bud cans rather. Mm. Yeah, probably. I mean, Bud is ubiquitous. A sure. Bit, a, a Budiquitous. The other kind of little piece of irony, or not irony, but coincidence, I like here is the butcher of Laverne dying in a meat locker. I thought was a nice little touch. Yeah, and um, as we was watching this, Cecily had a comment on you know a couple episodes back when Ed was longingly looking at the Hamburger Helper. Uh huh. That that was a callback because we thinking of like, oh, was he having uh, grinder flashbacks? But it's mm-hmm. also the very first meal, or when he comes home for the first episode, uh, Peggy is cooking Hamburger Helper yeah. and mashed potatoes for him. And he's like, I think it's a dual right. purpose. Like, oh, those are simpler times. And, oh, yeah, I ground up a dude in the meat. That's how I got here. How are we ever going to get back to that? That well, sort of thing. Ed, you know? you're not. Yeah. Ed, from two, three episodes ago, you're not. It's, it's going to end badly for you. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot of feedback. Can I, can I ask you how – maybe oh. this is just stylistic. Yeah. And maybe this is not supposed to be anything. But how did Bear get so far from Lou in the shot where they show the aliens again? 
Like Bear, we know that Bear was right on top of him. Lou shot him through the head, and Bear just fell I don't, over. I, I don't even have a mental image of that, so like I'm okay. a bad person to ask. They position Bear like in the foreground, and then Lou kind of way in the background with the lights still on him, so you know the alien's still there. Uh-huh. No, Whatever. Yeah, I think I, it was just a stylistic. I was a little bit bugged by that blocking as well. You know? Yeah. But I, I remember, but I can't remember exactly. I, I thought that there was a shot where um, maybe... Because didn't Lou get up and he's like staring into the light for quite a while until it just turns off? So maybe he was slowly backing towards the staircase where he eventually goes up to check on his father-in-law. I thought the thing left before he got up. I thought like he, he got up and actually was like for a while. looking back and like kind of stepping, taking steps back. Like he's trying to get away to get I, – I, I, that's my mental image, but it could be wrong. My because... mental image is he laid on the ground staring at it for a while. He definitely I, stared at it. I did not come to do battle on this particular field. Sure, so and, I yield to you, and I don't remember it well enough to tell you. Before before we uh, get the feedback, I want to talk about one other thing. Uh, right. So this show got renewed, uh, and it comes back in the spring of 2017, which some people were grousing about, but that's about a similar wait that we had for the last time. And Holly says it's going to feature in some way our modern obsession with selfie culture. Okay, that does not sound, and uh, so I, I also have a little slight disappointment. That I really was hoping that the Fargo bag of money would be a through line through that would unify all these works of Fargo fiction. And that's yeah. just gone. That's just gone. Now. Sure. Give up that dream. And now I feel like does far the selfie culture sound like Fargo to you? Uh, no, I mean, not particularly, but I'm sure girls in North and South Dakota take selfies and post them to the whatever North and South Dakota version of Facebook they have up there. Yeah. I mean, clearly that's something that's that's spread across the country. Uh-huh. Uh, I see it everywhere. It's not. I don't know. It doesn't strike me as particularly Fargo-y, but I I don't really have an opinion one way until I know more. Yeah. Like maybe they can do something interesting with it. Maybe not. Yeah, and I I don't even know that I want to see more of. Mo- I mean, I do want to see more of Molly, Gus, and Hank, but I don't know that I. From what I've heard, things where I should get it. Yeah, from what I've heard, I don't think you're going to see more of of the characters from season one. Okay, it's just going to be a contemporary type of thing. Yeah, like the plot might intersect in some small, interesting ways, but sure. you're not going to see those characters. We again. find that Molly has a facial reconstruction, and she looks like John Travolta <laughs> now, and she's running the Kansas City Mafia. Uh-huh, and she's... I don't know, she... I'm thinking swordfish here. Swordfish, <laughs> yeah, where John Travolta disguised himself and he had oh, clones. Oh no, I'm, I'm and thinking, I'm thinking uh, John Lee uh, face off. Okay, yeah, that there was essentially a face off in in this first two seasons of Fargo. Well, yeah, I'm a Hansi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did that directly. So, I and think... there's your tie-in with Nicolas Cage. He can be pantsless. Running around in his underwear with his face just were we rubbing to, his face. Were, going we face trying, off. Are we, were we trying to tie in Nicholas Cage? That's a Raising Arizona thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. sure. Uh, before we get into feedback today, we have not an ad, but a giveaway. Oh, boy. We're doing. You know, we yeah. never do this. Yeah, it was something that we uh, got offered by FX, and we decided, you know what? It'd be fun for the audience just to give this stuff away. So, uh, what, what we've got here is a Fargo survival kit. It is uh, a Fargo-branded bag, which comes with, inside of it, a whole bunch of stuff that you're going to need to survive if you ever get lost out in the Fargo, the wilderness that is the northern Midwest, uh, especially in the wintertime. You've got, you got a bunch of stuff. you got emergency glow sticks. 
So the things that you crack and they last like 12 hours. Sure. For when you hit a deer on the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this is really for that occasion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, beef jerky. I mean, you could make your own jerky out of the deer. It takes time. But yeah. And, and you know, the jerky equipment is not included here. You know, you have, you have to have your own knife. Sorry. Knife doesn't you come You have included. your own Ronco dehydration system. So. Yeah. Uh, but you also have Fargo branded bottle of water, which is kind of neat. It's got the Fargo custom Fargo label. It's thirsty work hitting deer. <laughs> it is. Uh, you have what's a really nice uh, Fargo FX branded fleece blanket. Oh yeah, like this real, real big, uh, nice warm blanket. Sure. Uh, also Fargo mittens. If you're into mittens, I personally myself have never tried mittens. I I don't know that I like the restrictiveness of the fingers, but they're really cool. They've I'll- got the the pattern, you know, the kind, the pattern that they used for this oh, yeah. season. They got that oh, pattern yeah. to them. Uh, I like mittens, I, especially if you're in really like uh, if you're in really bone chilling cold conditions, like when I've done alpine skiing. Uh, yeah, mittens are the way to go because you don't need sure. manual dexterity, and you won't have any if you use gloves because your fingers will be too stiff and, <laughs> and frozen. Sure. Then there's uh, the essential first aid kit, and the the bag itself, like I said, is pretty nice. It's got Fargo. Uh, just stamped on the side of it there. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to do to win this thing? Well, first of all, you got to go to Twitter and follow us. Uh, secondly, you have to tweet at us one thing that you would add to the kit. Uh, so tweet that at bald move and use the hashtags uh, Fargo and Fargo survival kit. All one word. That's how hashtag works. It, sure. I assume you if you're on Twitter, you, you can't know that. do a hashtag without with multiple words. Yep. So yeah, Fargo and Fargo survival kit tweet at us with one thing at you bald would add move. to the kit. Uh, and we'll pick a winner out of a hat of all the, the people who enter, and we'll get in touch with you via Twitter. Okay. Uh, shall we get the feedback now? Please. Dan from Pittsburgh. We got two, maybe three takes on the UFO thing, and then we're going to just move on.org. Uh, Dan from Pittsburgh says, by beginning the episode of the narrator reading from an anthology, uh, actually, this is in the defense of the UFO proper as much as just a, the episode as a total. God damn. How many ways can I butcher your, your intro to your email, Dan? Uh, by, by getting this episode of the narrator reading from an anthology of true Midwestern crime stories, we immediately know that the Sioux Falls massacre has become legend. The events and characters of the show have not only been talked about by old cops who dealt with the aftermath, like Lou in season one, but by the public at large. This means that the story has been told, retold, and thus reinterpreted through many years. The narrative framework employed in this episode completely shifts our understanding of what we've seen to this point. This hasn't been a straightforward, fact-based telling. It's been a subjective. Holly has hinted at that kind of subjectivity all season, and even in this episode, rewatch the scene where Mike talks to the Kansas City bosses and notice how the split screen is telling the same story two different ways. Heck, each episode ends with a cover song, literally a reinterpretation of an existing text. Like all urban legends, this story contains hearsay and lies, and has been shaped by the culture of its era. That cultural influence is evident both in the content of Fargo's narrative, paranoia, UFO, conspiracies, and its visual style, split screens and freeze frames. By positioning a story as an urban legend, not only does Holly play homage, or Jesus, play homage to the Coens, who have a major fascination of storytelling, folklore, folk music, parables, etc., but he implores us to question the validity of everything we've seen. Is the UFO real? If not, what is its purpose in the story? What does it symbolize? The narrator also pays special attention to Hansi's motives. The fact that he mentions they've been debated over the years isn't lazy or ham-fisted. It's indicating that Hansi has, be- Hansi has become something of a 70s folk legend. He's a figure in the public's consciousness, and he's a subject to speculation. Like Paul Bunyan, Jesse James, or Chuck Norris, no one can untie ha- uh, Hansi's fact from Hansi fiction. 
Holly hasn't shown us Hansi's life story, but rather the origin story of his myth. Does that help you appreciate the stylistic choice of the previous episode anymore? No. Like I said, I I found I get what it convincing because I feel like that if you if you remove the narration, it's a more interesting dramatic work of visual fiction. And if you remove the UFO, I think I have no problem calling this unequivocally better than season one. Yeah, I mean, if you, I don't know. I mean, I get, I get his point. It just didn't line up with what I thought, with what I kind of expected from Fargo, and that's the the core problem. For Plus, me. like, I, I get it. Like, if if this show didn't open up with literally this is a true story, but we've changed some facts to appease some people, and we've kept the facts the same to appease others, like maybe the narration would be necessary. But I just couldn't sure. shake the Wes Anderson feel, which was totally, totally wrong for this episode. But you get, I, I mean, you get the point that he's talking about here through the introduction of every episode being, yes, this is a true story, exactly. which we know is clearly not 100% true. So, you know, to me, it's reductive. It doesn't add anything. And in fact, it, the, fa- the fact that it distracts yeah. some people is, sure. is, bad, is, is, is a bad choice by my lights. But again, no one's wrong here. This is all subjective opinion. I can see why you'd like it. Yes. I just didn't consider the irony of writing in to tell two dudes how much you hate the final two episodes of their podcast. When all they're doing is expressing their displeasure at the final two episodes (laughs) of the television show. Sure. I'm just, just, just consider that in a theater of the absurd kind of way before you do it. By all (laughs) means, do it. Because, you know, you got to be you, but just, you know, briefly consider the irony as you're on your IBM Selectric. Uh, Jake K. from Portland says, here's the thing. They don't need Deus Ex Machina to get Lou out of the situation. He's arguing the UFO is not, in fact, Deus Ex Machina. Oh, but... Which implies that the situation is hopeless and that the writers wrote themselves in a corner and there was no possible way to get out. That's not the case here. The writers had 50 completely plausible ways to save Lou. Example... Bear could have simply succumbed to his wounds, proving that he's human after all. Or Lou could have reached for that gun and just barely got in a nick of time. Or Hansi could have shot Bear because fuck that dude, and on and on. They could have had Bear die while he was running at Lou or whatever. Lou could have emptied his clip on him. The point being, it's not a cheap out when they are already a million easy ways out. You don't think that showing the main character on the brink of death being strangled by a character who is apparently impervious to all physical... Uh, problems, physical destruction, is not backed into a corner? Well, no, I mean, that's my I mean, point. That no, is, he yeah. has a point that there was no shortage of ways to... In fact, that's where but my mind was going. they chose the deus ex machina. They chose it. So is a deus ex machina only a deus ex machina if there was no other plausible way for them to get out? I don't. I don't know exactly... Like I'm, I'm not sure what the exact technical definition that's the thing, like, you is. Could argue other than a lot of something things. that swoops in to save the day against yeah. all odds. Yeah, and the other thing and is, I, uh, also, I guess if it's like these are things that have nothing to do with the main plot, or they come out of, you know, I know the UFO doesn't literally come out of nowhere, but this usage of the UFO, kind as far of as the did. plot, yeah, I mean, it comes like a disinterested party nowhere. just comes, and that's, I guess, I was hoping, even though I really liked what they did with Hank's invented language and how that kind of subverted our expectations and gave like a nice little bookmark mm-hmm. to the end of the show, uh, or bookend rather. 
I do feel like that I really was hoping to get something to where somehow we knew that those aliens were important to Lou or vice versa. And that's why they intervened. Because that's that would have taken it out of the realm of a pure Deus Ex Machina, and I'd like to even better. There's no if they, reason for them to. In do that. retrospect, if a lot of things in the series had pointed that thing out that we had just missed, that would have been my my fondest hope. Um, my backup hope was that they would somehow contextualize it, but honestly, you know, new, the neutral result would be they just move on and do something else that's awesome and interesting, which they did. So, I mean, that, that's my understanding of a Deus Ex Machina is it's something that comes out of nowhere to save to to save things or change things. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, you can't. I, I don't think there's any defensible argument against this being a Deus Ex Machina. No matter how many other solutions there were, this is what happened. Well, J.K. says or, a fucking meteorite J- at any JK. moment could come out and clip Bear and kill him. Like, yes, there are a billion and one things that could happen within the realm of possibility. Uh-huh. None of them looked like they were able to happen in a this 50 moment. Fifty-pound mackerel could have landed on him exactly. at that point. Fish tornado comes down. Fish tornado. Just happens to scoop him up. A pink teddy bear missing an eyeball on fire could have landed on his head and set his beard yeah, on fire. Yeah, spontaneous human combustion. Bear just yeah. turns into a, a flaming pillar. Yeah. Anything, but that's not what they chose to do. Uh, so he says there's only one thing. So I'm going to continue his right even, even. All right. All that withstanding. I don't mean to say you're dumb. I just mean to say I don't agree. Uh, the writers had carte blanche to do whatever the hell they wanted, really. The only rule was Lou had to live. So what is a fun way, an absurd way, a way we haven't seen before, didn't expect to get Lou out? What would really add to a surreal twist? The UFO. And as an added bonus, maybe Lou is the only reliable survivor of the whole thing. So who's even going to believe him? Now Lou's the guy from Rhinoceros for the extra Fargo touch. I... I, again, I, I'm not you know, going to get hung up on what is and is not a de- deus ex machina because it's essentially like I can envision a universe where someone uses a deus ex machina and I enjoy it because it fits the tone. And, and, and honestly, Fargo maybe should be that show. It just didn't do it for me. And, you know, fuck me, I guess. I do like the Lou being the yeah. rhinoceros, though. Sure. I think of anybody he's the most rhinoceros-like. Yeah. <laughs> As it pertains to that story. Sure. Called Rhinoceros. Uh, Ryan, in season one, the lead character Molly was unceremoniously uh, sidelined the final episode, leaving her husband Colin Hanks to save the day, killing Lauren and finding and finding the evidence to incriminate Lester. In season two, the lead character Lou not only saves the day himself, but gives a grandiose speech about how it is explicitly a man's job and indeed privileged to do so. The only voice of dissent is Peggy, a raving lunatic who starts to voice her complaints and is promptly shut down. There's a weird, uncomfortable thread of misogyny in both of the season finales. I thought perhaps I'd misinterpreted Holly's message at the end of season one when he had the lead character sit on her hands during the final showdown and ultimately contribute nothing of worth at all. But here I see it was not an accident. In fact, Holly's mission statement. Do you agree yeah. with that? And that? I mean, I find it hard. I don't know what Holly's game is because he is giving some really great roles to women but then at the at the end of the finale, it's almost like, okay, you girls, your powder puff's time's over, halftime's done, now get the boys on the field to get... That is... I, I'd like to hear him speak to that, because that I, I can't square a character like Molly and Peggy giving these very eloquent um, uh, talks about the realities of being a woman in this, this world mm-hmm. with how he eventually treats these women. I mean, maybe it's if I'm being generous to to Holly here, 
uh, maybe it's commentary on exactly that, right? That that this is like this is the plight that they're suffering from. Here's society's reaction to but it. Making Peggy the and lunatic. Th- that's a problem. Yeah, I, I think that is a problem. Um, uh, even if you understand why she may be driven yeah. to a certain amount of psychosis. Yeah. So that was a male perspective, a female perspective. Uh, Jennifer F. Wrote in the season finale as Lou drives Peggy home, she says what I think many peop- women would say are valid claims about the expectations placed on women. It's the most intelligent she sounded this season. However, it's part of the same speech where she claims to be a victim, a phrase used by all the bad people in Fargo. Yeah. And then Lou shuts her up with people are dead, Peggy. Earlier in episode six, Rhinoceros, when Peggy says, uh, uh, a wo- wait, when Peggy says, um, a woman, she doesn't have to be just a wife and a mother no more. She can be, there's nothing she can't be. Hank's immediate response is, you're a bit touched, aren't you? I strongly identify with her desire to get out of a life of quiet desperation she's in, so I never even faulted her for life spring. It always bothered me that that part of her character traits, or supposedly made her crazy, is her desire to get out of Minnesota. I always saw this as the same feeling of being trapped that, any, that many women feel, uh, felt and still feel today. Yeah. Then I started feeling a, a thing about Floyd and Simone. With so much potential to be badass, in the end, they are completely ineffectual. Betsy is sharp and could probably be a skilled police officer, but she's a wife and a mother instead. The beauty of Lou's speech about men protecting their families being a privilege rather than a burden got a little lost on me as I started to see it in the context of war, using it for justification, and men quote-unquote taking over. Because, didn't Gus say something similar about protecting his family and a sense of responsibility? The incompetent cop Gus ends up taking out Lorne Malvo rather than Molly, Gus's clear superior. I was always disappointed because Molly and the character earned that takedown. I can't imagine any film or scenario where anyone would take away the kill from a male protagonist. Uh, if Fargo is attempting to make a statement about this, then the writing comes down squarely on the anti-feminist side. Again... Yeah, it's tough not to agree with that. Yeah, especially when you start thinking about in terms of Floyd and Simone and like even Betsy got largely defanged with her speech about, you know, not deserving Lou and how she was Lou's second choice. And, yeah, you know, she eventually she won Lou by not being a flighty slut, I guess, is the lesson to take away from her. I, I, it's weird. It's weird. See, I when Hank says you're a bit touched, aren't you? Yeah. I didn't read anything to him in his commentary about like Peggy's, you know, belief that she needed to be more, could be more than, than what she was or the role she was assigned in this society. I thought that was him saying, you're clearly not seeing the situation you're in because people are out to kill you. And these are the kind of things you're worried about in the moment or you're not wrong, but also Hank is a product of the forties. I mean, he went to war in the 40s. No, I This guy it. is old. He's a different generation. Yeah, of course he's going to be sexist as shit. Right. And, you know... That's who people were back then. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you, there's, this is all judged on a sliding scale of, like, you know, you got to calibrate, or is this person good for the times, or is he genuinely good, or, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But... Yeah. Uh, again, uh, it's... But you're right. The, the narrative here kind of undercuts any any speech that these these women are giving and the points sure. that they're making. Uh I I don't know. I would really love to hear Holly comment on it. Why frankly. did Peggy have to be crazy? 
Like it, it doesn't seem like it served a point in the story. I feel like you got you kind of got to be crazy to hit somebody with your car and just drive home. <laughs> See, I thought her defense of like everyone knows says they know what they're going to do until it happens. Yeah, that's true. Like you freeze up and like, oh my god, the cops. Oh my god, you know. No, I, I understand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's true. I'm not saying you can't judge a person that does that. You absolutely can't judge it. But on the other hand, you also, I don't think, and absolutely say, I would never do that. That's never something I would do. And it doesn't make them crazy if that's what they do, I guess. Yeah. It just, that's their reaction. and Sure. Even themselves, they may not understand it. Yeah. Uh, Peggy, or Peggy P. So, I don't know. I guess I don't know what the point, really, of making her (laughs) just straight up crazy is. Uh, Nikki P. says, on another of my Fargo casts, just two-timing us. They mentioned last week that the Coen brothers said that they have a lot of unfinished scripts because they don't know how to end movies. You can see the evidence in some of the ones <laughs> they have finished. So the ending of this season was very Coen-esque because it wrapped up so oddly. Clearly, you can say that that and people will. But I hope for next season they think about the balance between being Coen-esque and adequately serving your own story. It takes place in the Coen universe, but does that universe extend into the writer's room? How far does it extend into the audience? They should think about those questions. I, that's kind of what I was getting at with the family guyification of this show. Like, yeah. I'm not saying they've gone that far, but I'm saying that I don't know how many seasons where you can have multiple layers of Fargo ref or of Coen Brothers references in a season without it hurting the cohesiveness of the whole. Yeah, and I also don't know whether, like, I think I think Holly, and you know, again, I, I this is weird because maybe this is a minority opinion. Um, but I feel like at some point you got to decide whether you're going to stay very true and almost slavishly follow your theme and your thesis and whether you need to make some, um, so, some compromises to tell a good story and an entertaining story. Yeah. Like I, 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 I thought that in that sort of thing, it's like, I, even though I like this very slow kind of like unwinding, it's like, um, what would it, what if Breaking Bad had been like if, they had the long, dark tea time of the soul episode, which was the granite state. What if that was the final episode of breaking bad (laughs) and Walt just dies in the cabin and everything else. Like he somehow managed to free Jesse and maybe got wounded and he crawled away. But then we had this slow depressing, like the, you know, I I feel like that there's, you got to make allowances for people's for, for, for pace. Sure. Story. Well, I, I thought they, I don't think the pace was, uh, out of line here. Uh, counterpoint, uh, War Pigs. Yeah, I mean, that's... You, 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 you I think redline your engine in, in, in the first five minutes and then idle. Like, that's... That didn't really bother me, but I could see there's a lot of I mean, emails it, that did. That's, said that's it did. part of the climax. So, like, that's... that. The only problem with that is they didn't put it in last episode, right? It's not like... Like, if you're binge-watching this thing and you come off last episode right into this one and you go... 15 minutes in. Yeah, and I guess it's, it's true. Like, that's not a huge problem. But um, I'm not going to let the they, show off the hook because that's not the format they're released in. Yes, so. no, I, I'm with you there. Um, it was strange to have that in this episode, but overall, the season as a whole, I didn't feel like it had a bad pace at all. And I felt like no, they, agreed. they earned the final quiet moments with all these people. That's why I say overall, I think this season is an improvement over last season. And not saying last season was bad, but last season had that whole, again... That whole Stravos plot could have been excised from last season, and <laughs> nothing of value would have been lost. But the alien thing could have too. Here, that, and they I, have no, some. That's other way. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, if you took the alien thing out, 
is the story stronger or weaker? If you took the Fishnado and, in fact, all the Stravos line, is the story weaker? I mean, was the story really about uh, Molly and Gus and Lester and Lorne? Mm-hmm. Or was it about the Stravos, the grocery store king, and his weird biblical hang-ups about... I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we got the Fargo cash bag in there. Yeah. And I would thought that that's all worth it to kit, but now we've fucked the, the cash bag, so who cares? Um, yeah. Yeah, I... I mean, I get... I, I like the absurdity. I, I feel like there is an element of absurdity, certainly within, like, Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski is just sheer absurdity, top to bottom. Yeah. Uh, of circumstance. And Fargo is a lot like that, except not as severely. Sure. But this is... The, the part where I really run into problems, this is titled Fargo, mm-hmm. and it goes way beyond what Fargo did as far as absurdity. But I, the general thesis of this season, I think, was a smart one and was well well executed, other than going a little too far, in my opinion. Okay. Liz G says, speculation. Peggy hires Carl Weathers to defend her, and he's able to get her a reduced charge for the hit and run of Rye. Peggy eventually makes her way to California, but she's unable to stay because she can't afford the cost of living out there, thus ending back in Minnesota. Uh Another revolution. Uh, That's a good question. Everyone assumes that Peggy's going to do time in federal prison. What do they have on her? Vehicular manslaughter, at the very least. Do they have that on her? Yeah. Why? Because they've got the car. But, But Ed could have driven it. What if she just says Ed did everything? And Ed, I don't think Ed acted in any way contradicting that. Uh, so on Reddit, there's a list of the crimes that that she could potentially be charged for. Uh, I don't I know saw they, that, that and they I... go into like how people would know and right, but just the things that we've seen her do. Um, like if she confesses, there are a lot of them. sure if she confesses to something like this. But I, I'm like, man, that's a really hard case to make. At the very least, she's involved in conspiracy. To commit murder, potentially. Right? Like How? vehicular manslaughter and then the literal murdering of this guy. I think Ed would probably be charged with murder. Uh-huh. Um, and she was an accomplice in all of this, right? How? Because she hasn't been she's known about it the entire time. She's helped him escape the law. I thought that was one of the privileges of being married to someone that you don't have to testify against them or turn them in to the police. Yeah, but Lou and Hank know that they, they caught her with Ed uh, doing what? In the cabin having well, I don't I don't know. Because a lot of that can be placed on Hanzi, I guess. And it's just like, yeah, like, okay, so you're you're on the run, and you, I mean, I get it. But, like, what are they really guilty of? Kidnapping a gangster who was trying to kill them, that went to their home and tried to kill them, and trying to make a deal to get it to all go away? Mm -hmm. Like, good luck winning that case. Especially if across the bar is sitting Carl fucking Weathers. (laughs) I don't know. It's a fun mental game. Because I, I was like, man, what do they really have on her that you couldn't say, like... If 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 she ran over Rai, who's the other thing is I, I have a I have a problem describing Rai as a victim here. You know what I'm saying? That that's the first thing well, when Lou said, yeah. "Oh, you mean the victim? Oh, you mean Rai Gerhardt, the guy who shot three people in cold blood?" Sure, uh, he's, he's certainly not innocent, but he can still be a victim. Sure, of, of, of another incident. Yeah, I guess criminal lives matter. Um, but no, I I I I I don't know. I I don't know that you can I, I i wonder if a prosecutor look at this whole thing and be like you know what no thank you yeah i i don't know there there are probably a lot of things that we are just 
not remembering or that are being glossed over here that point directly to Peggy being guilty yeah. of many, many crimes here. Do you think she gets off by reason of insanity? That's potential. I mean, all she got to do is say, I saw a UFO. And if Lou testifies it, then his, his testimony is out the window because he's insane too. Uh, I don't know. It's a fun, it's a fun mental experiment to play. Like what, what happens to Peggy? Okay. Jake from Tallahassee says, wonder if your BS meter went off during Peggy's hallucination. The meat locker fills the smoke. Ed lays dead in the corner. Peggy grabs a knife from the door and readies for an attack. Psych. Hansi left five minutes ago and she's just crazy. I guess since they showed her talking to that imaginary man in the basement, something like this would be on the table, but that's a little bit too conveniently crazy for me. Jim, your huh. response. No, I thought it was well within the character as portrayed. Same here. Okay, good. But but Jake seems like a man whose suspension of disbelief was shattered. So I and we're I not feel, ones to talk. So. I feel you. I, yeah. I don't. I I don't agree, but I understand. Matt from Knoxville said the reason I'm emailing you is to make sure you talk about Lou and his sciatica. We knew for certain that one thing would happen this season was something said in season one. There's a massacre at Sioux Falls with enough bodies to stack high. Lou sits on his porch and waits for his enemies while tying knots. Presumably he gets injured and has a bad hip there uh, because he has a bad hip in season one after all. But no, he survives the whole fracas unscathed and we get the explanation of his hip with a throwaway line about sciatica. I was holding out for one more twist that would give him a limp and scare him away from law enforcement, but we didn't get it. I'm all about subverting expectations and all, but give me just a little more Lou Hansi Milligan action to top it off. I guess I wanted to see a little more crazy, a little bit more Malvo at the end there. I'm sad to see Ed go, but glad to see Hank survive. Um, so his point here is that he, he his bum in in the in the first season he explains that his bum hip is from getting shot in a routine. Uh, a traffic stop and he quits being a policeman shortly thereafter uh-huh. in this episode if we take Betsy's future dream as gospel he develops to glimpse somewhere between 12 year old uh, tabletop football yeah uh, Molly version and graduating high school version yep uh I guess do you think it's cheating that he got that just from sciatica or that he didn't get it in this. I mean, I guess did they? I mean, they they joke about the sciatica. Yeah, right? that's, that could just be a line where, of him going, hur, hur, yeah. "I'm going to get sciatica," and then him and actually also, getting shot. You know, Lou. I don't think has ever told Molly this story of the Sioux Falls massacre. Hmm. Um, and do you think that he potentially made up? the traffic stop limp thing because he was, I mean, it would almost make sense the other way around. Like he makes up sciatica to explain, to explain it the instead of telling he actually her got shot. Yeah. Yeah. The real story. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was just a throwaway joke, frankly. Yeah. But I, I can understand if your frustration and that's the thing, like you see, you know, Lou's got a limp. He's sprinting down his alley and you got war pigs playing. I, you could be <laughs> forgiven for thinking there's going to be a Titanic showdown. Yeah. But, you know, for whatever reason, that didn't bother me as much as a dripping wet UFO. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see what else. Joe from Philly. Absurdity. You know question. why it didn't bother me as much? Because it's grounded more in reality. Like, you can see a guy like Hansi saying, fuck it, I don't need to kill these people. I'm out. Right. I'm going to start a new life. You these can dumbasses see, aren't worth it. You can see it just lining up to where Lou walks in there at the time that Hansi has disappeared. Like, yeah, I don't have a problem with those realistic coincidences in a thing that ostensibly is about absurdity. Mm-hmm. 
not a problem. But UFO is a bridge too far, man. Yeah. In, in your opinion, man. Yeah, it's just like my opinion. Joe M. from Philly says, Absurdity? Question mark. We got to see the absurdity of corporate Mike Milligan being told to learn golf, get a haircut, <laughs> and a better suit. Batsy yeah. talking about the absurdity of Camus himself. And the two MVPs of the season, Lou and Peggy and the squad car, where Peggy makes a very valid point that is still true in 2015, that women can't have it all, but despite the validity, the absurdity in how she dealt with it causes Lou to bring her back to earth by saying, People died, Peggy. Finally... Yet again, awesome soundtrack and score, War Pigs. If Black Sabbath's masterpiece doesn't get you pumped at the beginning of the episode, I don't know what will. It did. I got so fucking excited. Unfortunately, it did. My heart was on red line, and then uh, I just put it in park. Yep. Put it back in the garage. But uh, whatever. Still, again, I don't want... You know, I, I said this multiple times last episode. I don't think Fargo is a bad... This is a bad season of Fargo. Mm. It was a really, really, really good, really fun yeah. season that had one or two bold experiments that didn't quite work for me and that jeopardized how I feel about, you know, the season as a whole. But it's not bad. And and yeah. if, I, if, I, if I chose a world between a guy like Holly chooses not to swing for the UFO fence and one where he plays it safe all the time, I'd rather him swing and miss. Okay. And, you know, get a lot of the other wonderfully weird things we get in Fargo than, you know, play it safe and potentially have the show just become average. Yeah, I guess I'm with you. Just Just bring it back a little bit. But, I mean, just think about it. Like, there's no way, by the time he knew whether that scene was going to work or not, um, it's too late to change it. Oh, yeah. Like, by the time that the FX, I mean, that's the last thing that that probably got added. And you don't really know. Yeah, it's it's uh... like, I could see, it's like, well, you know, you just got the searchlights in there. It's not working. Well, you don't have the UFO yet. And, honestly, the other thing is, like, he can look at that and be like, this is exactly what I wanted to happen. Sure. I, I, I don't know. From what I read... He's talking about like why season three isn't coming back until 2017 because ultimately it's like a winter show and we really like to have all of this stuff blocked out and there isn't much of winter left here yeah. uh, for us to film it and write it and everything, so sure. we're going to push it. Um, and he claims that like last season they had eight out of ten episodes basically written, like all but, all but stamped finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine he didn't know he was going to do this alien thing. Mm-hmm. But so you don't like, know if it's going to work or not. And then even if you if it works for you, you don't I mean, know it's going to work for I, four million people that are watching the show. Yeah, I guess. But I like it wasn't a problem of direction or a problem of like the elements not coming together. It was the fundamental problem of this thing happened, which is the writers, right? The writing is the thing there because they're I don't know. They're I mean, that's clearly showing you... me something that that was written into the script. I don't think the director on set was like, you know, it'd be great. Let's have a, let's have a UFO. No, obviously not. But so wh- like that's on the writers. But my, I guess my point is, I guess you don't know whether something's going to work or not until it's on the right written page. And it's like, it could go either way, but until you see the performances and the special effects and the moment that it hits and, and the editing and the music, I mean, there's I a lot, those things can sell a lot of bizarro concepts. I mean, Think of how many things on the page of the leftovers would probably read as ridiculous. Yeah, like I if someone so. were just to tell you this is what's going to happen in episode eight of the leftovers, which I'm not going to spoil for people um, that should watch it. But 
you know, a lot of stuff would be ridiculous, but it's not. And then, of course, there's a lot of people. It's funny because I, there's several people in the forum that are on the anti-leftovers bandwagon that love Fargo. And I wonder if that's like a this is a personality type. Well, Fargo is like a lot sillier. Fargo is a lot more fun. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, but like there's some people in the forums that love Fargo and hate the leftovers. And they're also, you know. Yeah, I and, and I love I can, leftovers, I and I hated that. the UFO part of Fargo. And it's uh-huh. kind of like weird. They're very different shows. I like equating the two is irresponsible, in my opinion. <laughs> I've also really rec- I've also recommended Fargo a lot to former fans of Breaking Bad. I don't know if that's a good move now that I've seen this season. Uh, Breaking Bad is much more plot. It's a, and yeah, this is a much like, more thematic and, and fundamentally silly show too. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, it's it's got a lot of the same dark humor and action, but and there's some the, ridiculous the bones, stuff in Breaking Bad, but not from a plot perspective. No, right? the bones of the shows are different. Yeah. Hmm. But okay. All right. Well, that's all I got. All right. And that's all we got for the season. Yeah, I guess we've done kind of a wrap up, right? We've talked so much about this season in this episode. I don't know that we need to do uh, a big wrap up cast. Nah. Uh, we're approaching the holiday season here, so yep. we I got, think we we're about our, to take our break. We got our bags packed. You guys are about to take your break. We have a ton of other stuff that we're doing, though. We like, do. if you are sad that we're not going to be covering any shows for the next few weeks, uh, we are going to be doing our end-of-the-year award stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be talking about kind of all the shows at once. Sure. We've got, for premium members, for, for non-premium members, for everybody, we've got podcast is going to come out, you know, kind of doing the awards thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, telling you the nominees, telling you where we came down, why we chose what we chose, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. If you want the big behind-the-scenes scoop and hear our deliberations and really know our thought process, then you can check out um, – you can become a premium member and check out that. It's like we're going to have hours, mm-hmm. hours of content there. Sure. Uh, we're also doing – a godfather three podcast neither of us have ever seen it yep. but the anniversary is coming up on the 25th and we want to cover it uh as kind Christmas of the day present the cap on our godfather trilogy coverage yep um what else do we have coming up we got so much stuff uh we have a surprise podcast coming a up christmas present for a fan that everyone gets to enjoy a commission podcast coming out around christmas uh-huh the other thing we got going on is uh a Star Wars podcast. You little, know, there's little a little, movie, uh, little indie flick coming out. Yeah, week. you may have heard of it. The Force Awakens is, uh, you know, some some reason they're doing subtitles on these movies. Right. I don't know what that's all about. Pretty pretentious. Uh, they gave, gave it an episode number. All I know no, is I if some know. spaceship shows up out of nowhere, I'm fucking out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm walking out the theater and I'm setting it on fire. Yeah, it's an absurdist reality that they're all living in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be covering Star Wars The Force Awakens. We're, we're going to watch it tomorrow night. Uh, and we're actually planning on having a podcast out the following day. Yep, Friday uh, before before everyone gets out of work. Yeah, so and that's a freebie. That's uh, that's a first hit free of the Bald Move pre- uh, Premium first run feature. Yeah, give you a little taste. Everybody gets it. A little taste, and then Simone will be back for more. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? We're going to drag the audience out to the pines and shoot them in the heart. Yeah. All yeah, right. Absolutely. Fair enough. You can't be pissed. You can't be pissed because we told you it's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, no, we've got a lot of, and we will be, we'll also still be. Still doing our 25 days of Bald Move Christmas. Yep. So if There's you're still a, premium a couple days check that out. left for that. And we'll be talking, you know, we're right now figuring out our late winter lineup because yeah. there's a lot of stuff we want to cover and there's a lot of stuff that's already kind of getting scheduled up there. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, early January, be expecting us to have our full schedule. And the best way to follow that stuff is on the forums, on forums.baldmove.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash baldmove, or on Twitter at baldmove. You uh, pay attention to one of those sources, you're going to find out what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be, be a plenty lot. of stuff. Yep. We're, we're taking a break, but the content and is And then not. also starting in January, or maybe even, you know, uh, no, definitely sometime in January, we're going to be doing the first run bald movies. So that's going to be that's right. yeah. on select, you know, when we feel like it. But probably in Oscar season, a lot of Fridays, we're going to be having advanced reviews. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. go out when you go see the movie on Friday night, you can uh, have our podcast ready to go. Or you can, sure. you know, I, I, I'd like to do like a, like a brief five minute Roger Ebert type of non-spoilery review just to give people a thumbs up, thumbs down to really yeah. rip off Ebert. And, and then tune out if they don't want to. And then tune yeah. out, and then we can get to the spoiler stuff. So you can do both. You can have a pre, pre-movie experience and a post-movie experience. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't want to check any of that out, if uh, we do cover a lot of other shows that will be back in February, specifically like Better Call Saul and The Walking Dead and probably a bunch of others. February is a big time of year for us. Mm-hmm. Like March. I said, there's it's it's not, you know, it's, it's us getting our schedules together to figure out the – because there's probably three other shows that we could – be covering depending on when west world drops right. we might want to do that I, I don't know we'll yeah stay tuned yeah stay tuned on the bald move website and the forums and everything like that and uh we'll be back next year for fargo season three or not next year sorry winter 2017 yeah or spring spring 2017 rather yeah. yeah uh so i guess we'll see you in a year and a half <laughs> Hopefully not. If you're not if you're not interested in anything else we do. Yeah. Just want to hear us talk about Fargo. I have a hard time believing that. Me but, too. But who knows. All right. Well, thanks everybody and we'll see you then. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>